once again, I say a very big welcome to Value Nigeria with Ajibola podcast, where we learn how to apply time-tested principles of value investing even to the Nigerian market. I want to use this opportunity just to say a very big thank you to everybody out there listening to this podcast. You guys are the real MVPs. You make the efforts worth the while. Thank you very much for all the feedback you sent through. Thank you for all your emails and for all the advice you've given in on ways that we can improve the podcast. Thank you very much. We really appreciate them. Now, last week, we took a look at a, a general overview of how to analyze a bank and the key numbers that we need to look out for even while doing this. Now, this week, we'll delve into the numbers of Fidelity Bank to take a look under the hood and see what makes the bank tick and to see if it's worthy of being added to our portfolios, basically. Now, I need you all to remember that all that we do on this podcast is just helping your education and helping you learn one or two things and, you know, promoting the principles of value investing. We in no way give any buy or sell recommendations and everything we'll be discussing on the podcast this week is all just along the same line of education as we always do. Please do not take anything we say here today or in any previous or in subsequent episodes as a buy or a sell recommendation. Now, basically, to take a deep dive into any company, um, my advice has always been that you need to take a look at that company's numbers, not just over the past one year, but over a minimum of a five-year period. You know, zooming out and looking at the big picture helps you see things better and help you gauge where the company is now and project as to where the company may be in the next couple of years. So a five-year result analysis is the minimum that we need to do. So how then do you get this five-year result compendium that you need to look at? The first thing you can do is to build an Excel spreadsheet and manually impute all the figures, download all the annual reports over the past five, six years, extract the figures you need and build an Excel spreadsheet of what you need. Okay. The second thing you can do, which is like the easy way out, is to look at the latest annual report. Turn to the last few pages. There will usually be a five-year result summary in one of the last few pages of the latest annual reports. Um, that doesn't contain everything you need, but at least that might just be a good starting point for you to have a bird's eye view of what the past five years has been for that company. Personally, I subscribe to the first point of view, which is building your own Excel spreadsheet of whatever company you are interested in analyzing. Um, for this analysis of um, Fidelity Bank, I've gone through a seven-year results um, analysis. So started looking from year 2014 at the results of Fidelity Bank all the way through to the last full-year audited report, which was the 2020 full-year audited report. So I looked at that seven-year results trend to come to all the conclusions that I have come through today. Now, I also want you to realize before we go any further that um, everything discussed is my personal process. Now, that does not mean that that process is foolproof or is the best process out there. It's just my personal process. It works for me, uh, which is why I recommend it. 
you can look at it if you are happy with it you can adapt it you can tweak it to fit your own you know circumstances but if you are happy with it that's fine it's just my process it's not the best it's not foolproof but it works well for me now another thing i also want you to realize is that you know fidelity bank operates only in nigeria they have about um, 250 or thereabouts branches scattered all over the country um, so they do not have branches outside the country. Now, the reason why it's important for us to realize that is because when we are comparing numbers or when we are comparing the figures from Fidelity Bank with other banks, that might put them at a disadvantage. And that's just because other banks are probably larger. They have branches in other countries, even in other continents. And that can you know, put them at a advantage in one way or the other. So it's not entirely apples to apples in all the comparisons that we'll do, but unfortunately, we don't have any other better yardstick. So just put that in mind, even as we go through various figures today. Now, another recurring thing that we'll be talking about quite often today will be what is called the Cumulative Annual Growth Rate, acronymed CAGR or CAGR. It's a measure of how figures change over time, how figures have grown. So if you have a time period of 10 years with the first figure being 1 and the 10th year being 100, so if, if you look at the growth of 1 to 100 over a 10-year period, the growth might go up, it might go down in some of the years, but the constants are that the first year was 1, the last year was 100. So Kega tries to smoothen out the growth and discards whatever happens in between those two final figures so the KGA is just a smoothened out growth rate that takes into account the first year and the last year results. Okay, we'll be making a lot of reference to KGA values today, cumulative annual growth rates. Now, um, looking at um, Fidelity Bank's numbers, particularly, we'll start from the balance sheet, um, and we'll start from the liability side of the balance sheet. The first number I would like to talk about is the number of customers that the bank has. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the figure for 2014, but I have the figures for 2015. And in 2015, the bank had 3.3 million customers spread across the country. And um, looking at the last year, that's in 2020, they had grown from, the, from this 3.3 million in 2015 to 5.7 million in 2020. So we see that they've had quite a large amount of growth. So they've increased their customer base by 72% between 2015 and 2020, which is actually a good sign. Now, remember that with increasing number of customers, um, you expect an increasing number of deposits as well. So let's see how the bank, how Fidelity Bank did on the deposit side. Now, for customer deposits, we saw that looking back in 2014, they had a total deposit of about $820 billion, And um, they've been able to grow these customer deposits uh, up to about 1.7 trillion naira. The figures are in naira, by the way. So they grew this to 1.7 trillion naira in 2020. So they've been able to grow the customer deposit between 2014 to 2020 by 107%, which is quite commendable. Now, if we're smoothing out that growth rate using a KEGA, that's cumulative annual growth rate, 
they've grown their deposits, customer deposits by 13% every year between 2014 and 2020. So this is very commendable. This is the primary business of banks, um, which is increasing their customers, increasing customer deposits, which you have said, um, the CASA forms like a very cheap source of funds for the banks, which they can loan out to people who need loans and make a profit off the spread. As we see customers increasing, we see customer deposits increasing, and as customer deposit increases, we expect to as well see an increase in the loans that the company or that the bank is granting out to people who need loans. So the next thing we need to look at now, we move from the liability side of the balance sheet even to the asset side of the balance sheet. And we want to take a look at how their loans, loans to customers has grown between 2014 to 2020. In 2014, the total amount that Fidelity Bank loaned to its customers um, was about 540 billion. So about 540 billion naira were loaned out to its customers in 2014, and they were able to grow this to about 1.3 trillion naira in 2020. Okay, so we saw a total of 140% growth if we are just looking at those two figures on their own. So they grew their lending to customers by 140% over this um, seven-year period. And if we smoothen out the the growth rates per year using the KEGA value, we'll see that this comes down to a 16% annual growth in lending to customers, so which is very, very commendable. So in their primary duty as a bank, they've been quite very commendable. They've done quite well. Now, with increasing loans, we should also expect that uh, the more loans you give out, the higher the likelihood that um, some of those loans may go bad and um, customers might not be able to repay the interest or repay the principal. So the next logical thing to look out for will be to look at how the bank has done regarding non-performing loans over this same period of time. Okay. If you remember in our last discussion, we mentioned that the central bank has pegged 5% as the maximum amount of non-performing loans that any bank should have. Okay, So if we look back at 2014, Fidelity Bank had a non-performing loan percent of 4.4%. And how, how we got this is by you know dividing their stage 3 loans by the total loan book. That gives you the... the percentage of the non-performing loans. So of all the loans that Fidelity Bank granted in 2014, about 4.4% ended up being non-performing. Okay. Now, we saw a trend where this was maintained in 2015 as well. However, in 2016, we saw their non-performing loans you know, rise to a peak of 6.6%, which was above the central bank you know, guidance for banks in Nigeria. And what was responsible for this? Looking back into 2016, we saw that Nigeria went into a recession and oil prices crashed, actually. So and a good number of the loans that most banks made out were to oil companies. So oil companies struggled in paying back those loans. That's why um, it was actually an industry-wide deterioration in loan in the loan book, with Fidelity Bank's non-performing loans spiking up to the peak of 6.6% in 2016, and um, this has been on the decline gradually since then. 
Now, in 2020, we saw their non-performing loans declining to 3.8%, which is very commendable uh, considering the growth in their loan book. So despite the fact that they've grown their loan book by 140%, they've actually been able to bring down their non-performing loans from 4.4% in 2014 to 3.8% in 2020. Um, So what this just means is that they have probably improved their risk management strategy. So they are doing better in assessing people who they give out loans to. And um, part of this risk management strategies that they must have put in place definitely includes the reduction of the amount of loans that they granted to oil and gas companies. And then we saw that this strategy was very helpful, particularly last year being the COVID year, where quite a lot of oil companies ran into trouble, but the non-performing loans of most banks in the country did not spike um, as much as it did in 2016 and 2017. The next thing I would like us to have a look at on the balance sheet of Fidelity Bank over the same period was their equity. The equity is another part of the company that is basically owned by the shareholders. So if the decision is made to liquidate the company, the assets are sold, liabilities are paid off, and the remaining part is the equity, and that part can be shared to all the shareholders. Okay, So we've seen the value of the equity rise from $173 billion in 2014, is risen up to $273 billion in 2020. So there's been a 57% increase in the equity of Fidelity Bank over this six, seven-year period. And if we smoothen out the curve, we'll see that this translates to a KEGA, that's cumulative annual growth rate, of about 8% per annum. And this is commendable, um, and that's because Fidelity Bank has not done any public offering or you know raised additional share capital within this six-year period. So it, the growth has solely been due to you know retained earnings and the, the returns they are making on on the equity. So that's quite commendable. Next part we'll be moving on to will be the income statement. And um, the first top line of the income statement is the gross income. That's it's the summation of the total income that the bank made. And this includes both the income made from interest, income made from non-interest items, income made from trading, from foreign exchange gains, all those income. Okay. Now, if we look back to 2014, we see that um, the gross income of Fidelity Bank came to about 136 billion from 2014 through to 2020 they've been able to grow this to 206 billion which is about a 51% growth over this 6 year period of their top line um, this is quite commendable once again and um, to smoothen it out it corresponds to a kega that's cumulative annual growth rate of about 7% um, so every year they are growing their um, top line or the gross income by about 7% every year. Now, if we just look beyond that and look at their profit after tax, okay, so the profit after tax in 2014 was 13.7 billion, okay, so out of the 136 billion that they made of our, uh, in gross income in 2014, they were able to translate about 13.7 billion of this to profits. 
if you fast forward to 2020, we see that um, from a gross income of 206 billion, they were able to make a profit after tax of 26.6 billion. So just looking alone at the profit after tax over the six-year period, they grew their profit by 94%, which is very commendable. If we look at the top line, that's the gross income. Gross income grew by 51%, but their profits grew by 94% over the same amount of time. And what this means is that they've been able to cut some unnecessary costs and um, you know boost their bottom line. So this is very commendable. They're they growing their top line, they're growing their bottom line, and they, they seem to be doing that effortlessly. Now, the next set of numbers that we'll be looking at will be numbers that tell us if Fidelity Bank does have a, an intrinsic, sustainable, and durable, long-lasting, competitive advantage. Now, the first of these numbers will be the net ratio. Now, the net ratio is just um, the percentage of the gross income that can translate even into profits. So we want to know what percentage of their gross income eventually filters down to profits. Remember, we've said that for companies that have strong competitive advantages and have a very durable moat, they are able to translate a high percentage of their income to profit. So now we see that in 2014, the net ratio of Fidelity Bank came down to 10%. So that means 10% of all the income they made eventually came down to profits. So for every 100 Naira they made in income, 10 Naira of that was sure to become profits at the end of the day. The trend over the years for Fidelity Bank has been that they've gradually increased this their net income from 10% um, in 2014 to a peak of about 13% in 2020. So they've improved their net margins, they've cut down on some costs, and they are a little more profitable than they were in 2014. So at present, their net margin is about 13% as at full year 2020. Now, the next metric that I'll be looking at is the return on assets, which is you comparing the profit after tax to the entire assets base of the company. You want to know how profitable the company is with their assets. And in 2014, their return on assets was 1.16%, about 1.1%. Unfortunately, they weren't able to grow this quite significantly. And in 2020, the return on assets dropped to 0.97%. Well, we can give make an excuse for them, and that's because 2020 was the year of the COVID, and it was quite, you know, had a huge negative impact on a lot of companies, so we can excuse them for that. But um, either way, their return on asset has ranged between about 1.1 to about 1.3%. What this means is that for every 100 Naira of assets that Fidelity Bank owns, they are only able to make about one naira as profit. Now, if we look at their return on equity, so the return on equity is just what's the ratio of the profit after tax to the equity base of that company. So looking at um, Fidelity Bank, in 2014, 
their return on equity was about 7.9% and they are in they were able to grow this up to about 9.7% in 2020 but as we have said we can forgive 2020 has been the year of the covid and if we take the next best thing in 2019 they were able to achieve a return on equity of 12% now, what do all these numbers mean? That's the net ratio, return on assets, and the return on equity. As I said earlier and in other previous episodes, particularly in the episodes about you know competitive advantage, if you've not listened to them, it's a three-part series. I recommend you just look back into the past episodes and listen to them. They will give you a good understanding of what I'm referring to. So these three numbers can help you realize how well-positioned the company is to withstand competition. Personally, I would like a net ratio of um, at least 20% and above. That means that for every 100 Naira that that company makes, at least 20 Naira should be going down to profits. For return on assets, personally, once again, I would like my ret- the return on assets in any company I'm interested in to be at least above 2%, 2 to 3%. I would definitely entertain higher than that, but the minimum I would think about is 2 to 3%. The minimum return on equity I'll be willing to accept from any company is at least a 15% return on equity. Looking at Fidelity Bank as regards all these numbers, Fidelity Bank unfortunately has not met up with any of all these numbers. That doesn't mean that the bank is not improving or that they wouldn't hit these numbers in future. It's just that as at, at this very second, looking back at five, six years, they've not been able to hit these numbers, which to me means that they are grappling with a lot of competition. They are not the best in their industry. Basically, that's what those numbers tell me. The last part of the entire thing that I would just like to look at today will be to look at the price in relation to the book value and in relation to the earnings per share of um, Fidelity Bank. Now, looking at the book price, the book price is the equity, which is, like I said, owned by the shareholders. It will be distributed to the shareholders if that company is liquidated. So the book price of Fidelity Bank can relate it to the share price in what is called the price to book value. Now, if we look at the price to book value of Fidelity Bank in 2014, this was um, 0.25, okay? And in 2020, it's still just about the same with no change, 0.26. Now, what does the price to book value tell us? Ideally, we want a price-to-book value of 1. That means that the price of the company on the stock exchange should be about equal to the book price of that company. However, in the case of Fidelity Bank, we are seeing a book price of 0.25-0.26. Ordinarily, that translates to the fact that the bank is pretty undervalued, uh, that the bank is being priced very cheap as compared to its equity. Okay, so there is more value in the equity than is reflected in the price on the stock exchange. That's the first um, thing. The next thing I would just like to look at again is the price to earnings. Looking at the price to the earnings, we see that the average P ratio of Fidelity Bank over this seven-year period has been 2.9. 
that means the the company is valued at about three times its earnings. So if you buy the company today in three years, you can make your money back just from the earnings alone. We've not done an in-depth study on the valuation of Fidelity Bank. We are just looking at relative valuation models. Being undervalued is not peculiar to Fidelity Bank. I think it's a general banking industry-wide phenomenon. The average P ratio of the uh, of any bank on this Nigerian stock exchange is probably about 4.0. Generally, the banking industry on the floor of the Nigerian stock exchange is quite undervalued and there is a lot of room for growth in the share price of the banking industry generally so now in conclusion i'll just i'll just summarize all that we've talked about all the major points that we've talked about i've tried walking you through the process that i personally take when i'm analyzing or looking at any company i'm interested in i try to understand the business and understand that company, understand the industry. And we've taken a good look last week and this week at the key numbers that every bank, that we should be looking at for every bank. And then we've looked at how Fidelity Bank was doing in all those metrics, customer acquisition, customer deposits, loans to customers, non-performing ratios. And we've seen that Fidelity Bank is doing quite fairly well in all those metrics. The next thing is we try to look at if the bank had a durable, long-lasting competitive advantage by looking at three key metrics, which are the net ratio, the return on assets, the return on equity. And we saw that the bank fell short of my personal minimum standards in those metrics. The next thing that we should have done was to evaluate the company management, which is take an in-depth look into the board members, even into the management level staff, the CEOs, and see if they are skilled and if they have the integrity to lead the company. We didn't do that in this analysis. Um, and that's just because since the company has not met my personal standards, I'm not going to you know, spend time doing further analysis on a company that I'm highly unlikely to buy. And the last part that we just touch the surface was to see if the present price of that company affords a healthy margin of safety that allows us to buy. We only did a relative valuation on this on the Fidelity Bank and on the general banking industry and we've concluded that the banking industry generally is quite undervalued and there might be room for growth even in share prices across the board in future. Overall, my personal thoughts are that Fidelity Bank is improving. They are doing a very good job. However, at the moment, they do not tick all the boxes that I want any company that I'll be interested in buying to tick. Um, so at the moment, unfortunately, it doesn't qualify to come into my own portfolio. But eventually, it's your decision at the end of the day. If you like the bank and like the f- numbers, you like their management, you feel it's right for your portfolio, I wish you all the best with that. I hope that going through my process was eye-opening and emphasized one or two things that you might know already or helped you learn one or two things that are new. Thank you very much for sticking with me through the process. If 
there is any part of this episode, if there are any questions, if there are any comments that you like to pass about the process or any part in which you feel I might be able to improve my process, kindly hit us on our email address and that's value Nigeria with Ajibola at yahoo.com. And that's all together. There is no space in between. Thank you very much for listening. I hope it was an educational episode for you. Do have a wonderful week ahead. And we'll see you on next week's episode of the podcast where we'll hopefully be discussing another informative and educative theme about value investing in the Nigerian Stock Exchange. Do have a lovely week ahead. Goodbye.